Just in Time Conversations. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us about conversations that matter and people who are making a difference. Today, we have our guest, Courtney Dollar, Acting Deputy Director of the Connecticut Harm Reduction Alliance. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I, um, I have, you know, I, I knew about the the merger i knew about swan uh and so i w- was just like hold up swan's not swan anymore like when <laughs> there's still swan um so for those that don't know that's the sex workers and allies network um here in new haven and so you know uh first and foremost you know what is the connecticut harm reduction alliance <laughs> um a lot <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So we were originally the Greater Hartford Harm Reduction Coalition, uh, founded in 2014 um, by our CEO, Mark Jenkins. Uh, It actually started out of like the back of his minivan. um, And we have grown so, so much, uh, especially in the last couple of years. Um, In October of 2021, we merged with SWAN and sort of rebranded as the Connecticut Harm Reduction Alliance to reflect the fact that we're really not just in Hartford anymore, right? We're really across a large part of the state. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things that when we talk about harm, um, you know, we oftentimes when we talk about public safety, it devolves to being reductive just to be policing. And then we continue to talk about the war on drugs mm-hmm. and talk about how we're going to deal with people using drugs, how we're going to deal with mental illness, how we're going to prevent drugs affecting people in the community. And so, you know, how as a harm reduction organization, right, that deals with these most vulnerable populations um, and that provides, you know, uh, safe equipment for people to use uh, uh, and, and kind of has the the counteracting uh, uh, narrative around usage and and what these community members experience. How does that narrative make you feel? Um, I have a lot of big thoughts on the war on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but there's also a continuum of people that use drugs, right? Yeah. Um, so I think in this line of work, we tend to see the folks that are most impacted mm. by policies and criminalization and mental health and homelessness and food inequities and all that. But there are people that use drugs that look like you and I that go to work every day that have good relationships with their families. Um, and so it's really important to recognize that there's not sort of this one image of, of what someone who uses drugs looks like. Um, and I got off track. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but we do a wide spectrum of things, right? So first and foremost, we are a service, a syringe exchange program, but we do, so much more. Um, so we have three sites. We have one here in New Haven, two in uh, Hartford. We also have mobile programs. So that would be sort of the largest um, largest group of what we do. Uh, we have mobile vans and we have an RV that go out into the community and sort of go to where people are. Um, and we do syringe exchange. We do safer consumption um, kits. So smoking kits, snorting kits, boofing kits. Um, we do a lot of naloxone distribution, so Narcan is the brand name, but Big Pharma, I try not to use that name anymore. Um, <laughs> um, we do, uh, like all of our ambassadors are trained to do one-on-one -on -one, um, overdose prevention uh, response training, um, but we also do community events. So I'm gonna be in East Windsor Public Library on Thursday. Uh, we have one in Enfield in a couple of weeks as well. So we do community trainings as well. Um, we have uh, drug checking, which is uh, our newest program that I'm really excited about. Um, mm -hmm. So we have two types of machines that um, someone can come in and bring a sample and we can tell them hey. what is in their drug, um, which is really important as the drug supply continues to be more and more toxic. And, you know, we have new things in, in the drug supply, um, xylazine being the biggest issue right now. Uh, if you don't know, it's an animal tranquilizer. It's not meant to be used um, human consumption and it's causing some wounds, like some pretty horrific wounds in folks and not just people that inject drugs. Um, and so abscesses for people that inject drugs are an issue, right? That's a wound caused by injecting the drug at the injection site. Um, xylazine wounds are not at the site of, of where you're consuming the drug. So even if you're not injecting, if you're snorting it or smoking it, um, we're finding wounds in people and they generally start um, in the, the limbs, extremities, um, and we've had folks, you know, lose limbs. We've had mm -hmm. folks with serious, serious infections. Um, it's a huge issue in our drug supply right now. Um, it's not new. Unfortunately, it's been in Puerto Rico for a long time, but it sort of appeared on the East Coast in the last few years, and it's really ramped up with what we're seeing in our communities. Wow. I, uh, no, there, there was so much that you shared. I, uh, I am not familiar with boofing. Boofing? <laughs> um, so it's putting drugs up your butt. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, harm reduction, right? We want to try and reduce harms associated with things. So injection drug use tends to be the most, um, the most at risk for infection, most at risk for transmission of infectious disease. Um, and so if we can have people consume their drugs in less riskier methods. Um, so we have safer snorting kits for that reason, safer smoking kits and boofing kits. So just giving folks options on how to consume their drugs. You know, I, New Haven is going through this conversation of it's going to have a safe user site. It's not. And so unfortunately, the bill that passed um, a language around supervised consumption was taken out. 
Uh-huh. Um, so there's not going to be a facility like there is in New York yet. Um, I would love for there to be one. Um, I'm actually from Canada. I've been here for just over five years now, and we have those facilities where I'm from. And so I actually volunteered at one in 2017 before I moved here. Um, so I'm familiar with them. And I think here in the States especially, there's a lot of misconception about what these sites are. Um, they've existed in other countries for years. So Insight in Vancouver celebrated its 20th year this year, and there's other countries that have them as well. And I think if people could just take a minute and not respond to uh, initial reactions, I guess, um, and sort of like look at how successful these programs have been in other countries before forming opinions about what that would look like here in the U.S. Yeah, I, my mind always goes to Portugal that has been doing this for decades. Yes. And it's just like, oh, they've dramatically, you know, have dealt with the negative consequences of drug addiction and have done great with education. And here, for some reason, we, you know, 30 years into the war on drugs, we're still like, yeah, what if we do a new war? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, all right. Um, so, I, I guess one of the the things that I, w- I wanted to ask is, you know, how do, you know, how did you come to this work? How did you, what, what inspired you? What brought you into this, this, uh, work of harm reduction? Um, so originally I was going to, I was in school for, um, psychology. I wanted to be psychologist um, and I was working at a mental health facility um, on the schizophrenia unit and I noticed that a lot of the discharges were discharging to homeless shelters and I got curious and I decided you know I'm gonna go work at one and I ended up working at a facility that um, one of the programs was specifically for people that were um, intoxicated or high. Um, They could come in any time of day, right? Three in the morning, three in the afternoon. We had uh, nursing care there. um, And that was sort of my introduction to harm reduction, even though that's not really the word that we used. Um, But I managed, um, sorry, I worked in uh, the managed alcohol program. So for folks that, um, mostly people that were consuming like non-consumable alcohol, like rubbing alcohol Mm -hmm. um, or hand sanitizer, Um, these were folks that like traditional detox programs hadn't worked for them. And so looking at it more from like a medical perspective, um, folks would come in and they would get, uh, a predetermined amount of housemaid wine every hour. So when they first woke up, they would get their first drink to sort of prevent detox from happening. And then every hour they would come back for what we called the pour they would get assessed by staff, you know, if they were showing signs of being like heavily under the influence, we might ask them to take a break from this drink. Um, But the idea was that we were giving them enough alcohol that they weren't detoxing, they weren't in withdrawal, um, but we weren't over consuming. Um, And the idea is that once you sort of take away um, the, you're giving them what they need. Um, And so, they're not focused on where their next drink is coming from. And so they're able, some people, you know, um, stabilize, they went into housing or they reconnected with family. Some people decreased their drinking. Um, there was a longer term sort of like a permanent supportive housing program 
So they would have their own apartment, but it was on site with staff and they would come down every hour. We had a gentleman there that um, he was so used to coming down for a pour that he would come down, but he wasn't drinking any alcohol. We were pouring him grape juice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just seeing the change in folks once you address um, their drug use or their alcohol use and sort of just treat them like human beings, right? It was seen more as medication. the changes that happened in folks' lives. Um, that program still exists. There's actually a managed opioid program, so same concept. They're prescribed hydromorphone. Um, and people have gone on to more stable lives. They're out of the homeless shelter. They're into housing. Um, and I got involved with a group that uh, put together a peer-led uh, consumption site until the city of Ottawa had their buildings up and running. Um, and then I moved here. <laughs> um, so my background is mostly homelessness um, and housing services. I moved here to work in rapid rehousing. And the city that I was working in had no needle exchange. And it's very, very common back home. Um, the shelter I worked in, you could walk in 24-7 and get supplies, no questions asked. And so I sort of questioned, like, why there wasn't that in, in the city that I was working in. And I got connected with Mark Jenkins from Greater Hartford Harm Reduction Coalition and started volunteering for him. Um, and then COVID hit and I started working on the outreach van doing syringe exchange um, because a lot of programs shut down during COVID. Um, and so it was really important that we were out there with extended hours, especially for folks that, you know, weren't able to access shelter um, that were out on the streets. Um, and then I came on full time two years ago. And with an, a new uh, title. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so relatively new. Um, I'm just really excited. Like we have a bunch of new projects coming up. Um, just really excited to see how much we're expanding and, and the reach that we have. Um, I know I started talking about the programs that we do and then I got sidetracked. Um, but we uh, had a vaccination program. So we did COVID vaccines, flu vaccines, um, did MPOX for a while. Um, we also have a nurse, so that's really important with silencing. We have some wound care kits that we distribute, um, connection to care. We have uh, HIV and hepatitis C testing, linkage to care. Um, we have a prevention services coordinator who oversees that in Hartford. Um, just really, again, like that whole spectrum of that entire person care. So we're not just giving someone syringes. We're also having conversations with them. and. These are often folks that don't access traditional services, right? Maybe they've had a bad experience um, in the past or there's some trauma involved. And really, it's just giving a shit about people. (laughs) No, no. uh, For those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5. Today, our guest is Courtney Dollar, uh, the deputy uh uh director of uh the connecticut harm reduction alliance um you know we were just talking about some of the programming that you do um you know connecticut is is an odd place because we're such a small state uh and you know in many ways we're that you know throughway between Boston and New York, right? Um, but, you know, 
how what does the landscape right of harm reduction look like in Connecticut? Because I think of communities like Waterbury, and I think of the Valley, right? And then I think of places like Bridgeport and New Haven, Hartford, that just have different challenges. Mm -hmm. But I can see people who are, you know, struggling, needing the same access of care. So what does what does that look like in these different communities and, and where are the growing opportunities? Um, so we have the three sites, two in Hartford and one in New Haven. Um, and then we have the mobile teams that are in those cities, but then we also go to other cities. So some, we actually, the Valley, we have a, a van that goes down the Route 9 corridor. Mm. Um, so we're in Middletown, we're in East Durham, Hampton, um, and I, you know, I'd love to have a van in every city, every region. Um, funding is obviously an issue, um, but we really try to talk to folks in those communities and find out sort of what's happening in their community because it does vary from city to city. And um, we also use things like OD maps, which is sort of uh, it's a map of reported overdoses, whether it's um, fatal or non-fatal if naloxone was used. Um, and so that sort of gives us an idea of where our vans should be. Um, so it's kind of twofold, right? Um, it's, it's ever changing, mm -hmm. I find. Um, Bridgeport, there, there are other agencies in other locations, so we're not in Bridgeport because there's services there already. Um, and Waterbury, uh, their health district is the SSP there. Um, so we're trying to fill in the gaps where services aren't in other places in Connecticut. SSP stands for? Oh, sorry, a syringe service program. Okay. Hey. Um, and, and so I, I guess the follow-up to that, right, is, you know, how do we change the culture, right? Because I feel the culture has changed drastically where, you know, Narcan trainings, I feel, are more prevalent. Um, the idea around, um, you know, the opioids crisis has changed the dynamic of the conversation greatly. Um, but, you know, I think there's still this fear of drugs, at least for me, unduly, where I... I personally, I don't do any drugs, I don't drink, I don't have coffee, but to me, I'm like, aren't they all the same, right? Like, they have different effects, right? And there's, there's different consequences to use, but like, you know, where do you see the culture shift needing to be to get to the point where we're less focused on the use and we're more focused on the outcomes? Um conversations right we do a lot of community events we talk to a lot of folks and a lot of it is misinformation mm. um i still hear you know people are afraid that they can die by touching fentanyl <laughs> um <laughs> i wish that one would die um there's you know still talk about fentanyl and marijuana which is not not a case fentanyl is found in a lot of other drugs but marijuana is not one of them so it's a lot of getting the right information out and having honest conversations with people because it's it's not about the drug use right humans have used drugs for hundreds of thousands of years right <laughs> we do things like 
lick toads for fun. <laughs> right. Um, it's used medicinally in other cultures, right? And then we have this conversation about um, medical marijuana and a lot of places are moving to legalize it. And 10 years ago, we weren't having that conversation, right? We weren't seeing marijuana as something that was beneficial to people. We're also having those conversations about like ketamine and psilocybin, uh, magic mushrooms, right? People are starting to see that drugs can be used on a spectrum. Um, and, you know, we have things like prescription stimulants, um, ADHD medication, right? The difference between that and crack is one comes from a pharmacist. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I think we just need to be talking about it more, normalizing it more. Um, people that use drugs use them on a spectrum, right? Some people have positive relationships with their drug use. Some people don't. Um, and it's never about the drug use itself. It's about what happens, right? The behaviors associated with it or the outcomes associated with it. And a lot of that isn't tied specifically to the drug. It's things like poverty. It's things like trauma. It's things like, you know, um, no support network. Um, and I think as a society, we need to be looking at those things and addressing those rather than trying to criminalize drug use. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, uh, I, I definitely agree. I, I, um, I want to talk about the wraparound supports that y'all offer, right? Because um, y'all do some housing work, um, and then SWAN, right, being a network to support sex workers in in, in their trade uh, and to be safe, right, while doing it. Um, you know, why are these wraparound supports? right so pivotal to the work that y'all are doing it's the care of the person as a whole mm. um so again right it's not about the drug use it's about the person and these are things that we found that people need these are services that you know there's gaps in these services or um you know i struggle with the shelter system here mm. a lot of shelters say that they're low barrier when they're not you know, we've heard of people getting kicked out for having too many bags or, um, uh, you know, having a tiny little shred of a crack pipe that no one's going to smoke out of, but that's considered drug paraphernalia. So they get discharged from the shelter. Um, we're just, we see a need in the community and we kind of try to try to fill that need. So a lot of our programs have happened because of seeing the need in the communities that we serve. Why do you think that so many of these programs still have these ideas around, right? So many of our programs, if you use drugs, right, whether it's job, a coach, or housing, shelter, food pantries sometimes, they, they all have this fascination with people using drugs, um, and so it's weird it's weird for me because you know there's no distinction uh of of the the drugs themselves and the different effects that they have but there's still this pervasive culture where you know it's the deserving poor yeah it's like that, it's that concept right we still there's a lot of big feelings about people experiencing homelessness, right? 
a lot of folks don't realize that that's something that they might experience as well. Um, we've sort of othered folks that don't look like us and part of it might be self-preservation, right? Well, that'll never happen to me um, because I'm not one of those people. And again, right, it's, it's having conversations and connecting with people as, as people and, and sort of humanizing folks that are going through these experiences. I, uh, my family is from Jamaica, and so this summer I visited, and I hadn't been there in about five, six years. And so um, the funniest interaction I saw was someone giving a police officer uh, a weed plant right they were giving them uh, a marijuana plant and the officer was so happy and thankful and grateful and it it was just such a bizarre scene for me to see um that you know it's just like oh i i i i don't think i ever will see that here right like i don't I don't think I would see that rea- interaction here, but like, you know, between, you know, different cultures, right? You coming from Canada, how close do you think, you know, we are to having a more accepting, more well-rounded perspective around the conversation about people who are using drugs Oh, that far? No. <laughs> it, it's it's really hard to say. Like I've had some really great experiences with other groups. Um, you know, there's the Students for Sensible Drug Policies. Mm, yes. I think the new generation has a lot of energy and a lot more compassion and understanding. So I'm kind of positive in that way, but I'm also pretty pessimistic because I've also seen the opposite side where people can be really cruel Mm -hmm. Um, and laws and policies can also be really cruel and punishing. And so I'm sort of constantly balancing those two. I'd like to say that I'm optimistic, um, but I just don't know. I don't know. For those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5. Um, you know, you talked about students for sensible, uh, drug policies, drug policies. And so these are mostly campus, uh, organizations, students at different universities, um, talking about drug use and, uh, doing this work of demystifying, uh, um, um, misnomers about different drugs and their effects and their uses um you know what what you know if you could go back in time and and talk to yourself right what would be the messaging to yourself like was this a process and uh for you to come to your perspectives around drug use or was this something that was so um, cultural that the the views and thoughts and uh, perspectives about people using drugs were just 
inherent because of where you were? I think there's a different culture, like where I'm from in Canada. Um, And I don't mean to glorify Canada, right? Right. We have our own issues and our own problems and we're not perfect. Um, But I do think there's more understanding. Um, I think a lot of it ties to the fact that, you know, we have universal health care. So there's this idea that everyone's deserving of healthcare, and we sort of have more social safety nets for folks um, that's sort of ingrained into our culture. Uh, I see the shift here happening. Um, I also see other places where it's still not. You know, there are places where syringe service programs are illegal. You can get charges for having syringes and distributing them. Um, there's some states where fentanyl test strips were, like, it was not legal to distribute them. Um, so I, I see some places where a lot of progress has been made, and I see other places where it's still very, very stagnant. Um, and if I could go back and talk to my younger self, um, it's going to be hard, but it's all worth it. Right? Mm. This is a very tough field to be in. Um, we have a lot of folks dying. Mm. Um, I have a getting emotional. I have a bulletin board up in my office, um, and it's it's filling up pretty fast. So there are pictures of people that I've worked with over the years that have passed. Um, I just added four in the last I don't know a couple of weeks, um, and it's tough. It's tough work, right? But it's essential. And again, it just it just boils down to giving it to caring about people. Before we started the program, we were uh, talking about housing, right? Uh, And you shared that, you know, there were these young men that passed away because, you know, the lack of housing uh, uh, put them in a a precarious situation where, you know, they ended up, uh, you know, dying because they didn't have access uh, uh, to, to resources that they needed. Um, You're being a lot nicer than me about that. Um, So they're actually older. They're older gentlemen, um, around 60s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, And they were living in an encampment. So they were in a group of people that had, you know, tents set up outside and their encampment got cleaned up. And, you know, correlation or causation, I can't Mm. say for sure, but they died shortly after. Um, We're not entirely sure cause of death yet. But studies are out there where when you clean up encampments, like I hate using the word clean up, right? You're destroying people's homes. You're throwing out their belongings. You're traumatizing them. Um, And studies have shown that there's a lot of like negative health outcomes that result when you clear out an encampment. Um, We don't have enough shelter space across the state, Mm. right? And these people don't have another option, whether there's no availability of shelter beds or the shelter programs that we have are not accessible to them. Um, There's a lot of shelters where you have to leave during the day. And if you're someone that works overnight, right, you have a job, you work the night shift, where are you supposed to sleep during the day? The, as a recovering policymaker, uh, uh uh 
Joe Anthony says, no one should be homeless or hungry in the world today. There are more than enough empty buildings just sitting there. Definitely, definitely agree. Yeah, and there's more than enough money out there. Right? (laughs) Um, Not going to delve into my super left-leaning philosophies, but Um, we have people where they can spend millions of dollars on, I don't know, the stupid going down to the titanic in a submersible can like there are people with money they have so much money they're never going to spend it in their lifetimes um and not to get too political here but we can be taxing them more appropriately and reallocating resources no one needs to sit on that much money facts not i i always think of elon musk uh shooting a mercedes into the uh into space and i'm just like what i'm like it was something dumb like millions of dollars to do it it's just like what like that doesn't even sound fun like mm-hmm. what like yeah um yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh you know i i what would what policies right do you see that as the biggest barriers right now Oof. <laughs> right like if i made you write the policies are for the day right or if you could talk directly right to the powers that be mm-hmm. and it could change overnight what are those things that we could be doing oh <laughs> i mean ideally right we stop criminalizing drug use um but that's my big wish um i just all drugs across the board. Yeah. 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 Stop stop policing them. I mean, we have things like alcohol, right? You can go into a store. You know that what you're buying is a bottle of wine and not like paint thinner. And there's a label on your bottle of wine that tells you exactly what's in it. Right? Alcohol is like one of the most toxic substances you can consume, but we're allowed to sell those in stores. Um, I would love to see, right, a... Uh, decriminalized drug supply. I think a lot of the issues that we're seeing right now are because of these policies surrounding the criminalization of drug use. Um, There was a comment about food resources, right? I would love to see more policies around like food waste, right? Mm. We have these giant retailers that are throwing food out. Um, I used to dumpster dive and there was a great organic produce store that I ate very, very, very well. Um, And this was things that they were throwing out that were perfectly good, right? Why can we not reallocate those and and feed people better? Um, That's one of the things that we do from our programs is food distributions. We have some great folks that will donate to us and we redistribute that. There's a lot of food insecurity, especially now. Um, And there's a lot of programs that are designed to help people like SNAP and WIC Right, but you have to jump through these hoops to prove that you need these resources. And I think removing some of those barriers and letting people access the resources that they need to get through would go a long, long way. Even even housing programs, right? Mm. The amount of paperwork you have to do for a rapid rehousing or a permanent supportive housing program, like it's it's wild. And it can take forever, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I know people who have been waiting three, four, five, six months 
uh, for about... I know about people have been waiting years. Right? Yeah. It's just like, hold on. You're homeless and you have children and it's been months. Mm-hmm. I, I... Well, how do people get involved? How can people uh, connect? How can people, um, you know... Uh, I know that y'all do Narcan trainings. What other ways do you, you know, can people get involved in and be part of the solution? Donate. We like money. (laughs) 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 No, but seriously, right? Funding for us goes a long way. Um, We're often able to purchase suppliers supplies at a cheaper rate um, than what uh, public health gets them for. Um, also like some of our funding can't be used to purchase certain things. So having donations, um, with unrestricted funding goes a long way to help us sustain some of our programs. Mm. Um, I mean, get involved, right? Like start having these conversations with folks, like normalize talking about substance use. Like we, there's a lot of people that don't realize they're at risk of overdose death. Um, right. There's people that like, I don't know, in college, we would go to the bar and someone would have a line of something. (laughs) All right. I didn't think about testing my drugs back then. Um, I'm lucky that nothing ever happened to me, but we have folks now who are not thinking they're at risk because they're like, oh, well, I don't use opioids or opiates. Um, You know, maybe I just do a line of Coke um, on the weekend. Well, guess what? We're finding fentanyl in cocaine. Mm. Um, And there's also like prescription drug use. Mm. so just like really normalizing having these tough conversations with people. And if we normalize it and talk openly about it, then it doesn't become a tough conversation. It becomes an easy conversation and people will have more information. They'll have more knowledge. Um, but also just when you have conversations with people, you really connect with them. I think, uh, the internet and social media has done a large, uh, it's contributed to a large problem where people aren't connecting one-on-one anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really just tying back into like, get out and get involved in your community. Um, Volunteer, right? We have some wonderful places. There's a warming center in Hartford that just opened. That's entirely volunteer run. Hey. Yeah. Um, And that woman is wonderful and I love her for what she's doing. And I wish that we had more folks in other places across the state that, you know, roll up your sleeves and get involved. Also talk to your politicians, Mm. right? Um, There's still a lot of misinformation at that level of what harm reduction is, what uh, overdose prevention centers are, what supervised consumption looks like. And, you know, we try and advocate as much as we can. We, um, but we're, we're just one agency, right? And, I think if more people got involved, that that reach would be a lot larger. Oh, where where are your uh, facilities in the uh, New Haven uh, area? Uh, we're at six forty five Grand Avenue, so the old ESMS building. Okay. Um, and then we also have the mobile van, so uh, it's a minivan uh, with orange flags on it. So we're in the community; people can wave us down. They can also call us. We have a number. Um, for New Haven, it's, do you want me to say it? Yeah, yes, please do. <laughs> 203-935-5701. Um, and they're out seven days a week, multiple times of day. And and you said you had two events coming up. 
Uh, yes, they're not in New Haven, um, but we do community trainings and, you know, folks can contact us and, and arrange for a training as well. Um, but I'll be at the East Windsor Library on Thursday, and then we also have one coming up in a couple of weeks in Enfield. I, um, you know, one of the, the, the conversations um, that I always have difficulty with, uh, it, it's for me, it's the narrative, right? Like, drug use equates, drug use leads to mental illness, right? And rather than mental illness is masked or treated or managed with drug, drug use, use yeah right um and so how you know as we go through the holidays right this is one of the hardest times for a lot of people right um the stresses of capitalism and and families and goals and right uh you know, how do we have the conversations about mental health uh, while holding, right, the fact that every, right, the wolf of Wall Street, right, there are people out there making lots of money using drugs, and we don't have the same type of discussion about their mental health or their drug use. And so, you know, how do you couch or how do you divide that conversation to, to 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 have it in a more authentic way um i mean so one there's a really great um professor dr carl hart hey. he's very open about his drug use and he's someone that has you know a positive relationship with his drug use um i think with anything right whether it's mental health or substance use it really boils down to the con like the the outcome of the behavior mm. right so if I have a glass of wine with dinner every night, we're not going to talk about my drinking. But if I'm missing work or getting a DUI, right, then we're going to have a conversation about my drinking. So I think just normalizing that it's not the substance use or the mental health, but it's, you know, are there positive or negative outcomes from that? And if they're negative, then let's talk. Like, let's have open, honest discussions. As we come towards the the end, I, uh, you know, you you mentioned the uh, youth giving you hope. What are the other things that are that are giving you hope, or what are the other things that are on the horizon that we can build towards? Um, <laughs> I think just that these changes are happening in our communities are giving me some hope. Um, yeah, it's, it's not enough, but it's, it's continuing to happen. I think just having more people get involved um, to continue to spread those conversations and again, right, combating misinformation and myths. I, uh, you know, I, I, I I am so grateful for the work that people like yourself are doing, right? Uh, um, it, it, I, I think anyone in service work that uh, is constantly around the most vulnerable community members and have to hold that duality of 
others' lived experience while dealing with your lived experiences is one of the 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 toughest things where you're so close but you're so far. Um, when you say lived experience, I think that's one of the things that makes us so successful is that I would say most, if not all, of our staff, you know, from our founder to our frontline staff have living or lived experience of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we're able to reach communities that, you know, typically don't engage in services. Mm-hmm. Well, I, um, you know, as we come to the end, um, is there anything that you didn't get a chance to share that, uh, that I, uh, failed to ask you? I don't think so. Um, I just, you know, I encourage people reach out if you have questions, right? We have a website, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, um, you can call our main office and talk to someone with questions. Um, but yeah, just get involved. We're doing a lot of really good work. My favorite question to always <laughs> ask you. Yes, it is that time. Uh, you know, what is a song that we can connect to you, connect to the movement, connect to the work that's being done? Um. Yeah, I, I, I had trouble with that one. Um, so I listened to a lot of Alexis on Fire. They're a band from where I was born, St. Catharines, Ontario. Um, and they have a song that's This Could Be Anywhere in the World. Um, and for some reason, I just really vibe with that song. It talks about uh, towns being haunted um, by like the ghosts of the past sort of thing. And uh, there's one line where it's like talking about the really long line at the Salvation Army, basically. <laughs> Um, so talking about like the need for services, I don't know. It's just, it's my song right now. No, listen, a song is a song is a song. Um, well, Courtney Dollar, thank you so, so much, uh, for being in community with us and and taking the time. Um, uh, you know, um, please people connect, uh, with Courtney, connect with, uh, uh, the, uh, with our community members and, and uh, your address again at Grand Ave was? 645 Grand Avenue so in New Haven. Stop by being community. Uh, until next time, let's continue to plant the seeds of change so we can grow together. I'm a traveling man, moving through places, space and time. Got a lot of things I got to do. God willing, I'm coming back to you. Baby boo, I'm leaving. Go ahead and leave the call. Heard around the world from the wise of them seas. These cats paying more than half a pound. I got my bag and snatch it down. I got the skate, but we can probably run the back of town. Scenarios like this is dead jerkers for the modern MC. I eat a blue collar worker, cause this thing called rhyming, no different from coal mining. We both on the Simons and unearth the diamond. When you start climbing and them eyes start shining, you be struggling and striving and they think you prime time and maintain it, keep silent, make no an observation. It's confrontation. This is the daily operation. My concentration, stay focused on my recitation. About to reach my destination with no pause or hesitation. Baby, make the preparation, cause this ain't no recreation. This is pro ball, and we letting you know you.